Good morning, everyone. Today I'm going to be reading from the book of Esther, chapters 4, verses 9 through 17. Hattash went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hattash and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king out inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come in to the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you, you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. These are the words of the Lord. <clears throat> well, we started um, the last few weeks a series for this uh, new year, 2020, called Building Our Lives. You see the building blocks there in the corner. How do we build our lives spiritually going forward in this coming year? That's a question that we're asking. So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the book of Nehemiah. Of course, with Nehemiah, uh, they're firstly concerned with rebuilding the walls that have been broken down for 150 years, so that's a long time. But uh, they managed to do that in 52 days. That's crazy. And then we also saw that not only were they rebuilding walls, but that Nehemiah was concerned that the spiritual life of the people would be rebuilt. And we saw that last week in Nehemiah chapter 8. And so today, with the same epic in mind, still we'll have another slide on the history, but the same time in the Persian Empire, we have this story of Esther. And uh, perhaps it's been a while since you've read the book of Esther, and that would be fine. Uh, so today we're going to be reminded a little bit about Esther and what that says to us as we uh, attempt to rebuild our lives so a few themes that come up in the book, um, one is feasting and fasting. So if you've had a chance to read it at all, you'll note that there are a lot of banquets that are going on. The king throws several banquets, Queen Esther herself throws a banquet. And banqueting is part of the Christian tradition, right? We might just call it celebration and joy. Last week we did ask that question, where does our joy come from? Celebration is part of our faith because of our journey with God, because of what Jesus has done for us. So we do feast. And one day there will be a great heavenly banquet, we're told, and we will all be there. It will be a wonderful time of feasting. Also fasting. 
And so in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, we see that Nehemiah through a, uh, well, was committed to a fast before he began pursuing the details of rebuilding the wall at all. When he heard what the situation was like, he fasted. And so we heard it there. And now in this story of Esther, we've just read uh, that a fast was committed to by uh, Esther and wanting all the Jewish people in the city of Susa to engage in it as well. So we're going to talk a bit about that. The overall arc of the book is that God is moving in our lives, moving in history, moving in the history of our church. God is at work. So it's like God's silent hand at work. We don't always get it. We don't always understand. In fact, frequently we get it more by looking back than we do in the moment or looking forward. Where God has moved, where coincidence, if you like, has worked in our lives. So God's ark. That's part of this theme of the book of Esther and hopefully is one that will encourage us. So the time period is Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, all around the year 400 B.C., Again, in Persia to the east, which is the land of Iraq, Iran today, that's where these stories are taking place. So in the same city as Nehemiah was coming from, the city of Susa. Interesting that in the Jewish culture um, today, a festival is celebrated, a two-day festival, normally in the month of March, and it's the Festival of Purim. And so Purim is a joyful festival. Here's a picture of what the Jewish community would be engaged in uh, during that two-day festival. So one thing they do is fast. The whole assembly fasts. Maybe that would be good for us to do at some point as a church community to fast. And fasting is associated with prayer. The two go together. But in Purim, they fast. And then the, whole, the story of Esther is read. So you can see the rabbi there with the, with the uh, manuscript, the scroll, reading. They read that every year. So the Jewish community in our city is very aware of the book of Esther. It's read every year. And then it's also a time of celebration and a time of resonating and encouraging others who have less. So there is a... There's an element of food and also giving gifts to those who have less. So that's all part of this festival of Purim, which is connected uh, to Esther, as we um, will see as we look at it. So just a way of background a little bit. So you may not have read the story. Let me just remind you of some of it. So Esther is a Jew who, uh, through a beauty pageant, if you like, uh, the king throws a great beauty pageant, and Esther is his choice. And so Esther is obviously a striking lady. He is impressed and makes her one of the queens of Persia. Esther has a cousin. Her, his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai works within the, uh, you know, the palace area. Mordecai finds out that there is a plot against the, the Jewish community in Susa and all through the empire, initiated by someone named Haman. 
Haman is the antagonist in this story. So there's a contrast between Haman, the antagonist, and Mordecai and Esther, the protagonists. Mordecai finds out, and he goes to Esther uh, and through his individuals and tells her what's going on. And that was the, uh, the piece that Shadow just read, that there's, there's a a work against the Jewish people. It's actually a work of genocide. Haman wants to kill all the Jewish people, all throughout the land, not just in Susa. Mordecai finds out. The problem is that Esther does not have uh, the right to go to the king. If she goes because she hasn't been invited, the king, if he does not hold up his scepter, she is just killed right there on the spot. It was a very... Crazy day, right? Crazy kings with lots of power doing whatever they wanted. So Esther needs to make a choice. Am I going to go and risk my life for the benefit of my people, or am I not? Because she's living a life in the palace of comfort, convenience, riches, wealth. That's her life. And now she has to put it at risk because of what's going on. At least that's put before her. And so Esther considers that, and as we see, she makes her decision to go and to take her chances to speak to the king and then see what the king will happen. So it's an interesting story, a great story of reversal of fortune. So we'd see that in Shakespeare and lots of his writings, the two, the one who's on top falls, the one who's under comes up, that's the story of Esther. So it's worth reading if you have a uh, chance to do so. Here is another picture of uh, Esther and Mordecai coming from the Broke Age, the 1600s. You notice how fancy they are dressed. That's lots of gold. That's how the story is interpreted by the artist here. Um, so that's what we have in mind. Fasting and prayer. Who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. These are the words of Mordecai. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that I will go to the king and though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's one of her famous lines. I will go, and if I perish, I perish. Because that was a real possibility. So that little text we want to keep in mind from chapter 4. Her fast is a strong fast. Three days. There's a fast with the Day of Atonement in the Jewish cycle. It's one day. We don't have record of really a national fast like this for three days. No food, no drink, night and day, three days. So it's what we'd call a strong fast. I don't know if anybody here has done a fast like that, three days. Maybe some have in our community. It's not a casual attitude, as I note, but it's a full commitment to seek God's face. And it's similar to what Nehemiah uh, presents in chapter 1. So what is fasting about? We might as well speak about this a little bit because the, the spiritual discipline keeps coming up. 
But I was actually talking to Hannah, and Hannah is part of our community, and Hannah has a long history of fasting. So I wanted to know what Hannah thought about fasting. And Hannah, who's not here this morning, she said, when we eat food, it nurtures our body. But when we fast, it nurtures our spirit. So that was her take. Fasting nurtures our spirit. And so there is a a practice. Matthew, Jesus tells us, when you fast in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say fast. He just assumes we will fast. And he says, when you fast, do these things. Don't make a big production about it to show everybody. Just fast between you and God and do it. But it's a discipline that is commended. And so... What is going on there? We might think, well, why is that necessary? If I've made my request to God, he knows about it, that should be enough. But that doesn't seem to be the way it's presented. We have a bunch of stories in the New Testament that tell us that we are to keep going to God. That, that God seems to encourage us to keep looking to him. So Bob Gernon, our good friend, his daughter Hallie, they, his daughters have had lots of physical challenges over the year. And this one is a new one, is, 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 is a real concern. Well, it's, it's not just, dear Lord, take care of Hallie. But the idea is, is that we go to God with this. We go to him. And whatever happens, happens. That's what Esther is showing. Three days fasting, but at the end of it, she says, if I live, I live. If I perish, I perish. There is no guarantee, but God wants a sincere heart, and that's part of what fasting is about. And there's lots of examples, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, from the Apostle Paul as well, and later on we'll look at some of those New Testament stories in the next few weeks in terms of the power of fasting. Fasting can also be other areas. Fasting doesn't have to be just food. So there may be some other area that you want to say, I'm going to withdraw from that for a while to encourage my focus on God and also to work and be part of my prayer life. Fasting and prayer go together. So it could be a fast from screen time. It could be a fast from so much time on your phone fast from television, could be fast from, uh, you know, whatever, some dimension of eating or drinking. So it doesn't just have to be eating. Any of our folk here being engaged in fasting? Yeah, Bonnie? Yeah, yeah? Probably more. Yeah, yeah, there we go. If we had more time, we could talk about that. How did that encourage you in your journey? But um, fasting is part of it, and not only, in, by the way, in the Christian tradition and other faith traditions, fasting with holding from food is part of the uh, practice of our journey with God. Particularly connected with prayer and our conversation with God. So there is that element. So building our lives, maybe uh, fasting can be part of that as we look at the year 2020. But coming to a bigger theme, there's trusting in the providential care of God. God. Life is not random. It's not just a series of random events. As we look at the book of Esther, God's hand is directed. We can think it's all random. But 
What is our response to these events? So Henry Nouwen uses one of the stories in a little book, and he talks about um, you break your leg badly. And let's say you're an athlete, and you break your bad so bad that, it's, that you, you can't really carry on in your career in that way. So the, this thing happens, and somebody else breaks their leg. So what, what is my response? That's what he's saying. What is finally my response to that event? Because that can be end, the end of my career or it can be the opening up of a whole new vocation. That's what he's suggesting. Maybe God wants something more in your life than just playing basketball, as great as that is. And God opens something else up. That goes, something else opens up. What's our response to life's situations? What is our response to the circumstances, the good things that happen, but also the hard things that happen? Jesus goes to the cross. What is his response? His response ultimately is, Lord, Father, I, my life is in your hands. I, I, I just trust and I have faith in you. Don't hold these people responsible. He just has to trust even as he's on the cross. So life is not random. We may think it is, but not from the story of Esther. There's also this engagement between God and us. So the people are on the, on, the, on the edge of genocide. That's what this story's like. And genocide is real, right? We've seen genocide in our lifetimes in different parts of the world. In Rwanda, a number of years ago, genocide was taking place. So it is real. But the response in terms of these situations is Mordecai and Esther are called to engage. If these people are going to be saved, then God is going to work, but he works through us. Our property next door, it's the same mysterious dynamic. We do the best we can, and then ultimately it's in God's hands. We don't control everything. That's just the way it is. We have to depend and lean just as they do here. And thirdly, it's interesting the message of hope. Because there's this line in verse 14 where Mordecai says, if you do not work this way, Esther, if you don't do it, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another corner. He's full of confidence that God is going to work. Esther may not agree, but relief and deliverance will rise. So ultimately, where does deliverance rise for the Jewish people? Where does it rise for us? We believe because of Christ, because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, there is deliverance. And so the implication, even in this book of Esther, points forward, points forward to Christ. So God's reign, God's direction, God's sovereignty, the providence of God, can we be encouraged in that? Can we have faith in that? Can that make any difference in our lives? That's a challenge for us. What do we do with that? So we have Esther's action, finally. So what do we see, number one? Well, it's her commitment. If I perish, I perish. I will go. She hears the whole situation, and she's decided, I'm going to go to the king. It's her action. Rahner talks about our fundamental option, meaning our baseline commitment for God. 
we will make our decision for God. So we don't know what Esther's relationship with God was before all of these sorts of things. She was living the good life in the palace. But here it comes to her, now she has to make a decision. And she says yes to it and goes ahead, giving herself to God even as we are invited to give. So no one else can do that for us, right? No one else can do that for you. No one else can do it for me. We have to make our commitment. We are responsible for our own spiritual lives, even in, amidst all the resistance that we also project. So it's a, an act of courage. It's an act of determination. Esther is a hero. In the festival of Purim within the Jewish community, she is held up as an example of fully giving herself to God. So a woman of faith held up within that community. Her story is read every year in the city of Toronto. So what does the festival of Purim and the book of Esther say to us? Secondly, we see her commitment and her engagement in solidarity with the people. That it's not just her life apart from everybody else. And the reality for us as Christians is it's the same. We are part of the people of God. It's not just you doing your thing and me doing my thing. We are part of God's people for God's kingdom. We are priests, Paul says. All of us are priests. We are to be instruments of, of light, of salt, light for the world around us. That's, that's, our, that's our vocation, fundamentally. Not just what we do for a living. Esther presents that. We often give in, I think, to fatalism and resignation. Something bad happens and we wonder what's going to happen. We just kind of resign ourselves to, well, whatever happens, happens. God is in control. I'll just leave it at that. Well, we may not be entering into that in any substantive way. We are not to just resign ourselves, but to engage in that experience. That's our calling. To something collectively bigger in 2020. Not just you, but you. Me, working together in this community of Weston, in your families, beyond our job together. Final slide. A movement to wake up and to say yes. So these things are what they do in, in Purim, all right? A call to slow down, a call to reflect on our lives, to act in compassion towards others. In there should also be to fast. That's all part of Purim. And to step beyond our own comfort and convenience. And we in the West, we are tempted at this at every level. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm satisfied, then that's the big thing. Well, from a Christian perspective, that's not the point. The point is, is we are servants for God. And we have a responsibility to live our lives. We're told in Scripture, right, that we're all going to stand before God at some point. We don't talk a lot about that, but that's the case. You and I are going to have to say, hey, this is my life. This is your life. God's going to say, what are, tell me about your life, man. How did it go? So you are responsible for how you live. I have, I have to live mine. And God's got a part of all that. 
He's created us. He's created you. He's created me. He wants to know how his creations are going about their lives. That's important for him. He's interested in that. If we took that responsibly and seriously, we might, maybe we'd change our behavior a little bit. Because God's got his eye on us, not in a negative way. His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on us. So the festival of Perm, the book of Esther, walking, engaging, serving him, knowing him, loving him. In Jesus' name, amen.